Welcome to the Adamantium Podcast, episode number 28. Welcome back, Adamantomaniacs. Hope everyone had a sweet Halloween weekend. One of my favorite weekends of the entire year. I love dressing up. I love getting creative. I love seeing everyone else's creativity. And everyone just out having a good time. Unfortunately, I actually didn't get to dress up and go out this year. But I got to do media at an awesome concert. I was covering the Wombats at the Danforth Music Hall. And I did get invited to a house party afterwards. But then I didn't want to be that guy that shows up at midnight in his street clothes. So I had to give it a pass this year. And on Wednesday, I'll definitely go and hand out candy to all the kids. And maybe throw in an old costume. I always love too when I'm handing out candy because it's always quite cold here in Toronto by the time Halloween rolls around and all the kids, their parents make them wear like their winter jackets underneath their costume. So everything's extra puffy and I always find it hilarious. But moving on to this week's podcast, we've got one of our local artist featured episodes featuring Thompson Egbo Egbo. He is an insanely talented jazz pianist and also just a really cool dude to chill with. Uh, Thompson came by uh, and we talked about his music career and how he got started. We talk about the jazz scene in 2018. Thompson is also just an incredible human. He helps out in his community so much. He has his own foundation where he helps teach music to underprivileged children. Thompson's also a huge sports fan, so we definitely digress for a little while into uh, talks about sport and the World Cup and basketball. And it's just a really great conversation, especially I'm sure many people like myself don't actually know a ton about jazz and what jazz is like in Toronto or really any city. So there's a lot, a lot to be learned and it's a great conversation. But before we get started with Thompson, I do want to say a thank you to all the listeners right now because recently we've just had so much momentum. I'm recording these episodes faster than I can post them. In fact, in the coming weeks, we might even have to post. I usually try and post one a week. We might have to post more than one in the coming weeks just to keep up. And really, I, I, I couldn't do it without you guys listening in. Our, our listenership has spiked a little bit recently. You know, our little engine that could is climbing that mountain. And I just really want to thank you guys for tuning in. And I've got some really, really cool episodes coming to you guys soon. Not just saying this, some of my favorite episodes yet. And they've just been back to back to back. So we've got some great momentum right now. And we're just going to roll with it and keep going. So that being said, if you are listening maybe for the first time uh, or you haven't done so yet, please leave us a rating or an, and review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts if that's where you're listening. Also, give us a follow on social media. You can find The Adamantium on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. All right, and that should do her. So let's introduce you guys to Thompson Egbo Egbo. Thank you guys for tuning in. Episode number 28. The Adamantium Podcast. Happy Halloween. All right, we're here with Thompson Egbo Egbo. Thank you for joining us. My pleasure. On the Adamantium Podcast. Let's get things started. First of all, congratulations on... You released a new album this year. Yes. A new standard. Yep. Let's. It's their first album under E1. Yeah. And uh, your first album is a trio. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the album, how it was put together. Um, but let's start. How are you connected with 
So you're with Jeff Halichuk on drums. Yeah. And Randall Hall on bass. Yes. How'd you get connected with these guys? So I actually went to Humber with these guys. So we went to we all went to school. Um, and the ironic thing actually about that is we never we didn't really play with each other at school. So Randall I met at the end of sort of my time at Humber and happened to kind of play a gig. Um, and sometimes what happens when you're subbing is the gig sometimes become yours, uh, becomes yours. So that's kind of how that happened. Um, I think in my last year or the last, you know, whatever, few um, months or semesters that I was there. Jeff was at Humber about the same time I was, uh, maybe even started at the same time. I joke a lot because Jeff played in the A band. And mm-hmm. so kind of what happens in music school is you are kind of segregated a little bit okay. based on ability. Uh, not entirely, but very much so. So even though you have classes with kind of everyone, when it comes to your ensembles, they try to group you and you know the, your, talent, love, yeah. your talent base, right? Uh, which you know makes a lot of sense. I don't know that I necessarily agree with that being the only way to create ensembles, but it is what it is. Uh, and so we always joke that you know Jeff, we never got to play with at uh, Humber because he was so good. Okay. It wasn't until later years later that we get to play with him and kind of in the real world. Yeah. You know? And so he was like the you know creme de la creme uh, guy, one of the guys at uh, Humber on drums, and uh, we were just like everybody else. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So and so, how did you how did you guys meet and like reconnect? So sort of same thing. So I needed a drummer. Uh, my drummer uh, at the time, uh, one of the bars that we play at, Poetry Jazz Cafe in Toronto, okay, um, met the door girl. They hit it off, and he moved to Berlin with her. Okay, yeah. So, so you were uh, without drummer. So I was out without a drummer, um, calling different drummers. I had a bunch of drummers that I used at the time, anyways. Okay. Uh, and then one day I got really, really stuck, got mm-hmm. really super stuck. And I was like, man, I need a drummer. And then I was on Facebook, Jeff's name popped up and, uh, I was just like, maybe I should give him a shout. So okay. I just sent him a quick tech, uh, message over Facebook and was like, Hey man, like I've got this dig gig on such and such date. Like, would you want to play with us? <laughs> He's like, yeah, sure. Why not? And, uh, the first time we played, I was just like, I got to record with this guy immediately. Like fell in love with his drumming um you know i tell people that when i heard him when he played with us and i heard him play drums he played drums the way i heard the music being played okay so it was like there wasn't much um direction if any that i need to give him and it was like it sounded um exactly like it was supposed to like okay. why we play with him so it was, it was really a match for me anyways a match made in heaven um he's had to come to terms with having to play with you know such a lowly uh, piano player, but uh, I think he's, <laughs> he's okay with it. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's how we we connected, and uh, then we started playing. Started be you know playing pretty much all of the gigs. We come in with the drummer, uh, the main guy. I mean, as far as I was concerned, it was the first time he played, he 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 was the main guy. Uh, and then as that kind of developed, I was like, wow, this sounds good. We got to record this, and so that's kind of it. Pro, I'd say because of him. 
um, in that process. That was really what pushed me to be like, oh man, we need. So that's when the wheels for the album started. Yeah, turning. exactly. Okay. And it's like, let's get up, let's go do this. Yeah. So when you when you kind of gave him that cold call right at the beginning, and you said, do you want to play with us this week? Yeah. Did you have to provide him with any music, or is he just kind of? No, just sort of just show up. He's jammed. Just show up and jam. Wow, yeah, and we'll, we'll figure. It, yeah, we'll figure it out. That would that yeah. my anxiety would be through the roof. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a drummer myself. I'm you know. Yeah. I definitely am no Jeff, but. Uh, well, you know what? In I think in in this in the realm of what we we're doing, it it's a it's a gig that you come and and do. It's, a it, lot of it's. Yeah, I mean, we sound definitely a lot better right now than we would have then in terms of like the cohesion and the tightness and now understanding. Um, each other's sort of uh, idiosyncrasies and and just being able to anticipate where people are going before. Okay. Sure, that's not there the first time you play together, but um, I think there is a lot. And and also too, I you know, we'll tailor um, what I'm doing if it's a new person, just to make sure that we all don't look like idiots, right? Right. So, so then, so now you guys said, you know, let's we we need to record together. Where, how did you guys decide on what direction you were going to go with the album? Well, I mean, the decision was all mine. Okay. <laughs> it's just like, hey, guys. Yeah, these are going, what I want to do. And, exactly. Yeah. We're going into the studio uh, to record songs. Here are the songs I want to record. Yeah. Let's do this. Um, then we rehearsed uh, a bunch. Also, the shows, because we played so, we played so much, the shows kind of just acted as paid rehearsals. Yeah. Uh, I had connected with a friend of mine, um, Warren, who was uh, apprenticing. I think he's still working at Rose Room. Okay. Which is uh, at uh, Carla, just in between Dunness and Gerard. And uh, he's like, oh, we've got a studio here. You should come check it out. And I'd gone in and done some work for them. They've got a great uh, Steinway D in there. And so I'm like, hey, we should record here. Uh, so we just set it up and took the guys in there. I had a girlfriend of mine, Nikki, who I actually, who's from Toronto, she's from Pickering, but we actually met in Greece when I lived in Greece, um, and uh, asked her if she would sing on one of the tunes. And so she said yes, and then, yeah, we just kind of... Pieces just kind of came together. Pieces kind of came together. Um, I actually, when I come back, I do a lot of stuff in, in Regent Park. And, okay. Um, uh, if, if you know anything about Regent Park and the work Daniels is doing there, they are not just sort of, sort of building buildings, but they're also like very interested in what's happening in the, from at a community level. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they really try to emphasize kind of um, trying to build community spaces. Yeah. And Mitchell Cohen, who's the president, is actually a friend of mine as well. And I've known him through kind of the early stages of that process when um, I was sitting on the board of the Regent Park School of Music and they were um, sort of, you know, convincing the organization to move into the new cultural center, Daniel Spectrum. And so, anyways, long story short, Mitchell, when I came back to move back to Toronto, was like, man, I'd really love to help, you know, support something you're doing musically mm-hmm. and whatnot. And uh, we ended up, I ended up doing an album just sort of solo piano. Okay. Um, that I kind of, for whatever reason, just really wanted to do it on my own, by right. myself type thing. And then when it came time to do this, I happened to be chatting with him. And he's like, oh, you never let me help you with the other project, you know, let me help you with this. And so um, he was very, uh, you know, gracious to kind of help out uh, financially with some of the costs oh, wow. for the for the album, which was great because you know, just like it just gets done, things done yeah. quicker, right? Yeah. Uh, and so that was so that, so I was very lucky to kind of have that that support, um, and uh, so it's it, which is which is funny because it's kind of I think just 
the album itself is kind of a representation of just how things have just been for me in life. It's always just okay. kind of a combination of different people um, supporting and coming together to kind of you know help me put it's almost like a great community magic. album. Yeah, yeah, exactly. For sure, it's a community and you, album. And you do a lot of work with that community, and we're going to get to that actually cool. a little bit later. I have a few questions about that. Um, but still on, on the album, um, one thing I wanted to talk about because, I mean... I'm the kind of person I, I I love to listen to all types of music and yeah. I appreciate all types of music, but I've got rock and roll running through my <laughs> through my through my bones. Yeah. That's and one thing that I really loved when I was looking on there is you've got like some compositions of Bob Dylan songs, yeah. Radiohead songs. Uh, there was Gangster's Paradise song yeah. I, I saw on your SoundCloud. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you about this because I wanted to know what what made you choose these types of songs. You know, what's your connection uh, with them? Well, you know, I think part of so part of it is that's like the whole concept, right? The album was called A New Standard and um, really just comes from the idea that, you know, when I'm in sort of jazz school, you're learning all these what they call the standards. Yeah. It's really the music that was kind of um, popular that day became the tunes that sort of were played okay. routinely because it was all, you know, there's no DJs or anything like that. Right. Um, and so those popular tunes kind of keep getting requested and they become sort of like the um, you know standard or bucket of tunes that uh, are, are presented and played and so my thought kind of with the new standard was really more a reflection of okay what are you listening to right now what are your musical influences what is the music that represents the music you have to play all the okay. time what are people asking for what is you know kind of what is your standard of, of, of the mixed bag of things that need to be presented mm-hmm. when you go out and do gigs and uh, and that's kind of where that comes from in in terms of you know I find myself learning all types of music and listening to all types of music as well uh, because the now we have just so much access to so many different types of music we have access to everything um, now yeah exactly and so and so that's kind of where where those those ideas and why those things are added into mm-hmm. the album so that and it's not just a purely you know, another sort of standard album where it's sort of the same tunes that you know people know and stuff. This is uh, this is part in in part what is now created, and it's different for everybody. It's but fresh, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. It's what 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 are you what are you listening to? And I think um, that's what I was just trying to reflect in in the album. Okay, excellent. And uh, uh, one one that I love that I wanted to kind of shout out on the podcast was there's one called Mr. PC Spider-Man. Yeah. Which was kind of like, it was really cool. It was a mix of kind of a classic composition yeah. with the Spider-Man theme song. Yeah. Which is kind of, uh, I think, and already just talking to you for 10, 20 minutes, <laughs> kind of gives them an idea of what you're like. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, you know, you appreciate the the classics, but you know, you have modern taste as well. Yeah, so, for sure. Yeah. Um, so you, let's go way back. You moved here from Nigeria when yep. you were four, started playing piano when yes. you were six. So tell us from the beginning, how did, how did it all start? How did you get involved playing music? What made you decide piano? And Well, I, I didn't decide piano. Um, sort of the story that, you know, I kind of keep telling, or at least the mom, that my mom tells is essentially what happened is I came to Canada and I wasn't adjusting well in school. Okay. Um, and my elementary teacher at the time, I told her, my mom that there was something wrong with me um, and that she needed to get me checked out by a doctor. Um, I probably needed like some drugs, some Ritalin to, you know, keep calm me down and figure what was going <laughs> really? on. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I guess I was just like a big uh, shit disturber. Can I say that? Yeah, yeah okay, cool. <laughs> I was too. So. Um, <laughs> and so my mom, who my dad hadn't moved over yet, and uh, it's just my mom. She's a single mother. She's got two kids trying to figure out what's going on. 
doesn't really sound like it makes any sense to give a kid drugs. Right. Um, and happened to be, uh, someone else happened to kind of happen upon her um, while she was kind of distressed trying to figure out what to do. And the person was just like, oh, there's nothing wrong with your kid. You just need something to focus, focus yeah. on. So, like, there's a music school um, around the corner called Dixon Hall. You should take a kid mm-hmm. there. And uh, he'll be fine, you know. Okay. Um, they lied to her, uh, <laughs> but uh, needless to say, that's kind of why um, I ended up being introduced to, to music. To music um, okay. Was was that that experience that my mom had, um, which was just, hey, there's something wrong with your kid. Figure it out. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, fortunately for me, uh, she found she found music, and there was an opportunity within the, the community. For her to actually afford to be able to um, get uh, my sister and I music lessons. Okay. And and do you, do you play with your sisters? Does she still play? No, she doesn't. No, play. she yeah. didn't stick it out. Eh? Um, and piano is an instrument that they they all say is maybe probably the best introductory. Yeah. Because once you, they say once you learn piano, you can kind of learn any instrument yeah. from there. Um, they say that, but you know. Yeah, well, yeah, everything. Obviously, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I played piano when I. I'm just saying because I played piano myself when I was around the same age. So yes, yeah. maybe seven or eight. Um, but then you know when I went in high school, I want all I wanted to do was play like Iron Maiden tunes. Yeah, so nice. I learned. I picked up a guitar. Yeah. And then I learned the drums. And um, so my question is, what what made you decide? You know, I love the piano. I want to stick with piano. You know. I, I don't know if I ever really decided that until much later. I okay. played a bunch of instruments. I, I took drum lessons for about 10 years. I played the tuba probably for about 15 years. I played in a brass band called the Hannaford Street Youth Band. Um, uh, so, you know, I was playing a lot of, of various different things to varying abilities as well. Uh, the Growing up, the... the it wasn't a conscious decision to okay. continue playing piano. It was just that I actually had what I always say is that I just had a lot of opportunity to do it. So, okay. you know, whether I was playing at church, I was, you know, playing in different concert. Uh, um, uh, the music school had a lot of concerts or a lot of recitals, Kiwanis Festival. There's always an opportunity, I think, to do music. Um, so I didn't really, I didn't really think of it as a, oh wow, I'm making a decision to play. To it was just like piano. it was just. It was like for me, I did so many things. I and played, you already I played, played yeah, okay. I played every sport. You know, I was, you know, played, you know, soccer during the fall, basketball during the winter, track and field. You know, then played sports outside, played rap soccer. So it was for me, music was just a part of the mix of everything I did to get out of the house because mm-hmm. my parents were super strict and would yeah. make me read a book okay. um, or do a book report on the movie I saw at a friend's house or something. <laughs> <laughs> so this is this was my way to just like get out of the house. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. So when you were playing at Humber and you also went to Berkeley in, in yeah. Boston, um, were you playing a lot of different instruments in the ensembles there, or no? I was, at that I was point, really just playing piano. piano. Yeah. Okay. Um, one thing I read that was I thought was really really cool is that you've played for Quincy Jones. Yeah. Um, and not only that, you've played for in front of Prince Charles, Prince Edward, Prince Philip. Yeah. Um, tell us tell us about this experience. Do you get, do you get nerves performing at all or? No, not usually in those contexts. Uh, it was interesting. So I, I I did the Duke of Edinburgh Award program as a okay. kid, and what ended up happening, I had a really good relationship with the Ontario director, who was um, a lady by the name of Jill Hermine. We became really good friends. 
Um, and she's just such a lovely person. She knew I played the piano. Okay. And so she would routinely ask me to play um, God Save the Queen in O Canada okay. at various ceremonies. So I sort of kind of just became the go-to guy to do that for, you know, Silver Award ceremonies and Gold Award ceremonies. And so as a result, um, uh, Prince Philip, who's the Duke of Edinburgh, when he was in town and doing those events, if I was asked to play, I'd be, you know, playing there. And then his the youngest son, uh, Charles's younger brother, um, Edward, um, is sort of like taken over for him as the yep. ambassador of the program. Yep. Uh, what's neat about him is, uh, you know, he comes in and does a lot of fundraising um, events for the award as well. So him and I over the past, I'd say now 15 years um, or, or more actually, have had uh, various opportunities to spend time with each other you know, have have dinners, have lunches, mm-hmm. and do these events to the point where I can say actually that they were kind of homies. Um, yeah, you know, <laughs> homies of the they were kind of homies. The yeah. uh, when I was seventeen, um, the National Arts Center put on a concert um, in honor of Prince Charles. Okay. For the Westons, when they're opening up, uh, this was before the distillery opened up to what it is. It had okay. just been renovated. And there was a huge, big gala and arts and cultural event there. Um, and I was asked to be one of the performers um, at this that thing, which was cool because that was like one of my first big like money gigs. I, yeah. I like played for half an hour and got paid like you know seven hundred and fifty bucks or something. Yeah. I was like I was in heaven. I go like what? Yeah. Like whoa! What you know? What's this all about? Such as you know, life is great. Um, uh, the Quincy Jones thing is very interesting because sort of just through the you know different worlds that I've weaved in and uh, you've met a lot of event planners, a lot of uh, people who put on these types of events just yeah. from having done a lot of them. Done a lot of them, yeah. And um, I played for Quincy Jones in 2001 and this was November after September 11th had happened. He was in town for about two weeks doing various things. There was supposed to be a huge gala in his honor um, and uh, after September 11, all the events that people were doing got scaled back, toned down. Nobody okay. really wanted to do anything big and, and showy. And so a friend of mine ends up, you know, putting this event together at a, um, at a house in Rosedale and says, Hey, Thompson, listen, I got no money, but will you come and play? Yeah. And I'm like, heck yeah. Quince Jones yeah. going to be there, yeah. Which is ironic because they had money to, you know, rent the piano. Right. Uh, move the piano. Right. But, uh, you know, it's funny how budgets work. Plus, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, know I had a comedian here once, and he's like, I did a charity event work where he's like, the caterers are being paid. Yeah. Like, the, these setup people are getting yeah. paid. These are the only person, the guy who's entertaining everyone is the only one who's not getting paid. It happens. <laughs> I, and I tell people all the time, I'm like, oh, exposure. I'm like, why why, like, why does everybody get to pay, get paid except the artist, right? Yeah. Um, somehow you've, people have justified it to themselves. So that's, the, uh, that's where the cut, costs need to be cut. Anyways, long story short, I ended up being able to play this event, um, and uh, I got to meet me, Quincy, um, have dinner, uh, got took a bunch of great pictures and stuff. Yeah. I got some memorabilia. I don't know where the heck it is. I'm sure, it's lost in the ether now in my parents' place. But, uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's been it's been an interesting sort of uh, ride and experience being able to do, you know, be go- experience being in rooms where, you know, other other than the music itself, there would have been no reason for me to kind of uh, right. be there, right? And what was what was your interaction with Quincy like? Did he s- say anything about your performance? Or your- uh, he was super cool. You know, I didn't. It wasn't necessarily like a performance. Performance is okay. like you know, it was a it was a dinner party. I played 
during sort of the reception half. Okay. Uh, was cool was um, he hung back, so I had had a chance to kind of hang with him for like. 10, 15 minutes just like chatting, kind of yeah. fooling around at the piano a little bit. Yeah. Um, the It was really nice that the uh, organizers had made sure that we had a, uh, we had some time together uh, before he went out and sort of went out about the rest of the evening. So. Yeah. And it's, it must be kind of cool to look back at now with, you know, the documentary that just came out. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, you've had, I mean, when I was looking through your bio, there was like a laundry list of accomplishments and different projects that you've worked on. Um, what Maybe what were some of your, your favorites, same favorite projects that you've worked on? Uh, what did you see? <laughs> uh, well, it seemed like uh, you, were, you, were, you were working on a performance of uh, The Kink of My Hair. Yeah. And um, that was doing cool. award shows and stuff yeah. like that. And so there was like, that's why I was like, I was, I'm like, I'm never going to remember all these. So yeah. I was like asking about... Couple of your favorites. You know, it's so funny because I'm I'm really bad. I'm one of those p- people that once something's happened, it's it's already right. Like, I've lost I really yeah, yeah. I've lost sight of it. The memory's gone. Um, looking to the next thing. The kink in my hair is really great though because that was my first trip to London, mm-hmm. and it was um, uh, it was probably the best way to see London for the first time. Uh, I think I was about 21, maybe 22. And um, you had a place to stay, Mm -hmm. Um, you were getting paid, and you had a per diem. And what was interesting was there wasn't a full sort of band orchestra type thing, so I I was just with a bunch of actors. And there were only two of us musicians, and one was actually also doubling as an actor. So they treated me like an actor and kind of gave me the same provisions that all the actors were getting as um, actra. So one of those things was your per diem has to be the equivalent of what it would what it is in the um, uh, in the city that you're going. So okay. So where so you I know instead of <laughs> yeah. So it was like instead of getting forty dollars a day for you know um, your food if it, if it was that. I'll get you, you a slice have, of pizza in London. Yeah. <laughs> now you have to get forty pounds, right? Right. Yeah. And so you know I was super frugal and I was able to eat for like five pounds a day. <laughs> um, you know ha- had breakfast there and then. And then I found a place that I could get $2 donors. And so I actually almost made the equivalent saving up my per diem that I did right. getting paid. Uh, but I also but I got to do cool things. I took myself to the Savoy to see um, uh, Porgy and Bess was just opening up. Right. Something I would have never seen. You know, I haven't seen uh, got, getting a chance to see it in London um, and, you know, having sort of this. this well, I, I really it was kind of unfair the way I got to see it the first time. Yeah. Um, because it was it was so easy. Like I, I took for granted. Because when the next time when I went, went yeah. it wasn't yeah, uh, <laughs> it wasn't as pleasant. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, for you know, I think for me, one of the things that has rung true then and still rings true rings true now is that uh, music has opened up doors for me that I could have never opened up myself. Right. And and opportunities and so things like that. Um, a, a lot of the I you know I. I tell people that I can't think of one opportunity, whether it is in music or not, um, or the arts, whatever, that doesn't um, either directly or indirectly, and generally speaking, I don't even know what the indirect examples would be, um, uh, stem from uh, the relationships built through the right. music I've done, right? So, um, well, it's just like almost any other career, you know? Like, yeah. Uh, 
you know, they, the best way to get a job is through networking, yeah. right? And so I imagine music's the same way. When people yeah. discover your talent, then the word spreads. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Absolutely, man. Um, do you think that we're kind of deprived of jazz and classical music in 2018? Uh, I don't. I don't think that we're deprived. Um, I. I would say, um, the from what I've seen on the classical side, they, there still seems to be kind of a really good um, sort of mid market. Like, you know, current halls full. Like, it's people are going yeah. and seeing things like that on the jazz side. Um, w- there seems to be a gap between. You know Lincoln Center jazz at Lincoln. You know jazz at Lincoln Center right. coming in and everything else that's going on. Like right. you kind of like on the classical side, you can kind of see sort of all the different iterations, the different levels, the different right. Um, okay. And so, and I, I think one of the uh, and this is just all all opinion is that I don't see enough of the innovation of jazz being accepted, um, which doesn't. Um, uh, which is exclusive to the up and coming of the the new jazz generation, okay. right? And so as a result, you know you you're seeing it. Uh, and I know some you know, people would say they on the classical side it's sort of similar. When you're going out to see some of these um, uh, jazz concerts, you're seeing you know that sort of older um, uh, the the older um, demographics that are there. You're not right. seeing as much of the younger ones. You are seeing it with some of the younger talent that comes to the city. So, if, you know, if it's like a Robert Glassberg comes in to to play, you see that. But there, I haven't seen enough of the sort of um, what who are the innovators of jazz right now. I haven't seen them ab- and embrace as much de- in this city. I wouldn't okay. necessarily because I definitely follow a lot of those acts that are coming out of whatever it's New Orleans or New York or L.A. or even some of the European guys. Mm-hmm. Um, they seem to be, you know, traction. They seem to be filling up pretty, you know, decent-sized halls. Um, and so I, I would just say there's right now there's sort of a... Um, there's a little bit of a disconnect between... Um, what is coming up and what is being innovative and the preservation of what people feel is jazz and that disconnect doesn't link right. link the generations together. So, okay. Which, and again, that's just my that's just my opinion, right. Of but, course. Um, I'm sure everyone else has uh, you know uh, their view on on that. Yeah, I mean it's it, it's kind of an interesting topic right now because I mean the on one side you know the music industry is very convoluted but on the other side everything's so accessible so even yeah. types of music that maybe aren't getting played on top 40 radio stations or yeah. whatever, there's ways of getting them to the consumer and the people that do love it yeah so uh, it's almost like a double edged sword a little yeah. bit but yeah well which is funny because um, it's funny that you mentioned that because now that's kind of just accepted and and common knowledge and just sort of like yeah of course that makes sense mm-hmm. uh, but you know Radiohead Radiohead's one like was one of those first bands where that's something they experienced um, which people didn't quite understand mm-hmm. right like they're you know one of the most downloaded like freely yeah. and, but you didn't hear their stuff on radio on ra- yeah. very often like you know what I mean they weren't they weren't one of the go to sort of like you know cliche or popular right. groups or mainstream groups but as that technology sort of started to kick in, they also were one of the ones that were bigger without that sort of um, mm-hmm. same... On a, just on a different group, platform. On, on, a diff, on a different platform. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I totally agree. Um, you know, being from 
Toronto yourself, what uh, what are some of your favorite venues in the city to either play or observe or? Uh, some of my favorite venues. You know, I like going. So I think the Horseshoe's great. The mm-hmm. sound there is amazing. The sound guys are great. Like every when I've gone to see shows there, like there's nothing for me better than you know seeing or hearing a loud show that's very clear. Yeah. Like you go places that are very loud. The Horseshoe distorted, always surprises me as well. Like yeah. you know, and you can't hear anything. It's distorted. It's like it's uh, you know, and I. Um, and not that I'm like really in love with loud music just because I think it can be stressful on the body, but when it's clear mm-hmm. and it's and it's you know um, you know mixed well and it's being presented well, it's very it's it's very um, it, it's a very different sonic um, appreciation that you yeah. have for it. Uh, I you know I've I've got a lot of various venues that I like for you know like for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny, you know, the band's been playing a, r- a lot at the Rex lately, and when I was younger, I really didn't appreciate the Rex. Like, you didn't? Kinda, I didn't. Okay. didn't appreciate it at all. I kind of was just like, you know, what is this sort of dive bar, dirty it place? It seems like, like, a, like, a, a, like a club. You know, like, I mean, like yeah. a social club for, yeah. you know, like jazz and guys. You know exa- what I mean? So yeah, I, it is. I, it's one of those places that I've walked by a thousand times. Yeah. I almost feel like I'm like, oh, I'm not You're the right not type of person of to be in there. You know? so, so I would say you totally are because the the crowd there is very eclectic, and you'd be. I'm actually surprised at how few musicians I see there yeah. um, uh, than I would expect. Because yeah, okay. can you kind of get that vibe? Yeah, you know, but it looks like a really yeah. cool joint. And we, I'm yeah. like, I feel like it'd be a fun night out there. But we, yeah, the band's done a bunch of six thirty to eight thirty, and I've gone in. And it's just like. Literally, guys coming, you know, off of university or Bay Street, just want to have a pint. They want yeah. to have it in a quiet place and listen, right. listen to some jazz and, and and hang out. And yeah, as a as a as a younger musician, I was just like, oh, the Rex, like I don't want to go there, I don't want to play there. Like, and as I've kind of um, now spent time in uh, looking at it through a different lens. One, I, you know, you gotta appreciate a place that's been as open for as long for as, as long they as have. it has, yeah. And two, as a musician, it's really um, uh, I see the value in what it is, and it, you know, I think it's helped out our band and what we do quite a bit, and it's been a great platform and uh, just a staple to to have mm-hmm. and, and be there. So it's yeah, it's it's a it's a um, you know maybe not everyone's cup of tea, and it kind of like you can easily kind of walk in and be like, oh. I don't know, you know. I think it, it, might, it might just be wrongfully uh, looked at. Almost, yeah, yeah, you know I mean? yeah. You presented, can, yeah. You can definitely prejudge the Rex um, yeah. sooner than you should, uh, and I would caution anybody not to. Not to do um, that. And quite frankly, like you know, if guys aren't playing at Kerner Hall or Roy Thompson, they're most That's likely go to. Yeah, they're most likely playing at the Rex, right? And so you brought up a really good point about it being one of the the oldest venues yeah um, that's still around it's right? still around yeah. because you know in today's today we really we really need venues like that because yeah. we've been losing tons in the last few years i mean the silver dollar we just yeah. lost to development and there's been a, a, any number of of venues shutting down in yeah. the last couple of years so it is kind of cool to have those kind of classic places For sure. like the el macumbo and you know yeah yeah, and I, you know, you know, and I'd say, you know, now because you know we chatted about earlier that I, you know, been dabbling in uh, real estate a little bit, and you know, I, I don't think necessarily the development um, itself is is an issue, but I think definitely. 
from both sides, but specifically as artists, because we kind of like to just do our own thing, leave mm-hmm. us alone. You know, the, I I hope that it's going to present. It does present opportunities for us to kind of like, you know, work together. You yeah. know, and and uh, I think it's funny because it's one of those things. It's sort of a double-edged sword where it's just like, if you want to kind of like, you know, create that change or you know, um, change things to sort of um, work in a better way. We kind of have to kind of get involved, right? Yeah. Can't do it from yeah, from not speaking to each other. Yeah. So, hopefully, I'm hoping that sure things have closed down, but I'm hoping that now there's going to be uh, we'll start to see a resurgence because the development obviously isn't going anywhere. No. Um, but it'll be nice to see if there can be a resurgence and just say, um, a in uh, an onus, I guess, to kind of really look at. What are we doing to kind of contribute to those culture spaces that we've lost, right? Yeah. And bring them back. My my guess is that you know if you lose all of them, you'll slowly lose the value of what you think you were the value you thought you're buying into right. by getting rid of that. And mm-hmm. that'll be sort of the you know a preface to kind of get people moving. But you know that might be a bit more utopic than yeah, because you know. it makes you nervous for places like the Horseshoe Tavern and yeah. stuff that are right in prime. They're yeah. an older building, right in like prime real estate. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the horseshoe. The horseshoe is funny. You mentioned that because it is. It's one of those places that always surprises me. I'm like, how are they getting such a good sound yeah. in this place that looks like an absolute hole? Yeah, in the wall, it's you know? it's incredible. Yeah. Whenever I have like visitors from out of town and we're down on Queen Street, I'll even point it out. I'm like, man, some great musicians have played in there, and they're like, yeah. really, it just looks like some bar. Yeah. You know? yeah. Like, yeah. But yeah. down the back there, yeah, it's killer. Um, what um, what's like a dream venue for you to play? And it doesn't have to be in Toronto. I mean, anywhere. Well, I think as a performer, dream venue definitely is um, Carnegie for sure. Right. I think as a kid, like that's something. And it's funny because I have a lot of friends from Berkeley who play there all the time. Yeah. In different yeah, contexts, cool. so I'm like, oh, I guess maybe it's not as hard as I thought it was. I, and I'm sure, sure it isn't. But uh, um, the there's also you know I lived in Greece for a year. Um, and there's some coliseums. I think one day, whether it's Greece or you know Italy or you know Israel, like yeah. I'd love to play in one of those outdoor sort of coliseums, yeah. like ancient sort of um, theaters, and do do a show that I think that would be just incredible. Yeah, do yeah. a couple nights, maybe do a little yeah. European tour. Yeah, yeah it'd be all right, eh? Yeah, for sure. Um, actually, and that's you. It's funny. It was a good transition because the next thing I want to talk about is uh, some of your other interests. And uh, uh, I read that you love to travel. Yeah. Uh, and you've, it's like you said, you've lived in Boston, you've lived in Greece yeah. for a year. Um, what kind of places do you like to travel to? Yeah. Um, man, I I love so I'm I, I love food. So I'm a big food. Okay. So I love if I'm traveling just to center it around the food. Okay. Um, and and essentially just kind of like so what can I eat? What What are some of the most interesting things you've eaten while traveling? Uh, most interesting things. I don't know that they're that interesting. I think it. it so sorry, it's not more of like a yeah, bizarre. It's, it's just like the good food in the the town. Yeah. Uh. Well, yeah, that's that's a tough one too. I mean, like obviously in France, you eat with frog legs. You got to try yeah. everything. Um, the uh, I love Greek food. Really, okay. really love Greek food, especially in Greece. The way it's cooked, it's like. And it's because and the interesting thing about Greek food is it's really very simple. Yeah, it's yeah. you know it's not there's not um, uh, I don't want to say there's not a ton to it, but they know how to like just cook meat like yeah, uh, yeah, yeah for sure. So same in Italy, you yeah. know, it's like when you go and have pizza in Italy, yeah. 
it's very simple you know yeah. it's like some tomato sauce and like some you know prosciutto or something yeah it doesn't and need to be decorated no, yeah. it's not here it's like eight different topics yeah. you mentioned we were, we were talking about real estate the pico place like, yeah. I abuse that place <laughs> like, you know unlimited yeah. toppings put everything yeah, on yeah, yeah. exactly <laughs> yeah <laughs> but um Okay, and the only reason I'd ask that question because, like, I've been to a few interesting. I'm going to Japan in January, oh, so cool. I can't wait to try the food there. Awesome. Um, I've been to Peru, where like, yeah. I tried guinea pig, and cool. I'm I'm like the same thing. You know, I'll try yeah. any, anything once. <laughs> yeah. yeah, or you know, and it's funny. Like, there is an element to like things that we think are bizarre, but are just staples other other places, and the meat is meat. Yeah. You know, unfortunately, if we probably ate ourselves, we wouldn't even know it. You know, it's yeah. like one of those those things. Yeah. It's like, uh, and apparently, if we eat pig, we probably have eaten a human at some point. Like, oh, you know, not no. to get all dark, not to get all not to get all dark or anything yeah. like that. But um, but yeah, I think it's uh, I I think the food like the obviously the food is a part a part of the culture. Yeah, and one of the things about I think one of the reasons why I love centering traveling around the food is that um i feel like it accomplishes a lot of different things and um understand like just seeing how people interact learning how p- cultures interact with each other well and most is cultures a, interact like base around food base around yeah. food so food is a good place to kind of food start when you want yeah. when you want to start to, to Experience, uh, experiencing yeah. that yeah um, is, is there any bucket list places that you need to hit uh bucket list list places i think Oh, all of them. I haven't been, I, I haven't <laughs> all been, the places. All, all of the places. Uh, the globe. I, I went to Brazil when I was younger, when I was 16. I went to, uh, I was playing a lot of competitive soccer. We went, yeah. uh, my team went down and trained down there. Um, and I think I'd really like to do uh, Brazil again as, as sort of as an adult. Okay. Um, but I, I think for me, I'm like very interested in places where there are uh, sort of... Um, cultural mis- mixed bags so yeah. like I haven't done like New Orleans yet right okay you know uh, that's Fort- surprising yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly um, you know there are parts of that well, you know that's one of the things that drives me to Brazil it's interesting you know the Middle East I still haven't been to would really like to go to mm-hmm. it's it's kind of unfortunate because I think it's losing as you know you can see it's losing the multiculturalism that's, mm-hmm. that is there that people don't really think of it as mm-hmm. a very diverse region in the world but it, it, it is yeah. um, and it'd be nice to kind of just capture some of that in whatever form it is now um, before it, all, it completely just becomes a very segregated yeah, sort of, part, um, of the world. part of the world uh, and then uh, and then yeah there's where else would I like to do uh, so you know, hit think, every continent uh other than Antarctica, <laughs> I guess. Well, technically, I have because I've done Turkey and I've done the Asian side of it, but not really. I haven't so really done Asia. I haven't really done Asia. Asia was my last one too. Yeah. I went so to India this year. Did you? That was my last. Yeah. And nice. then I'm going to Japan in January. So. Yeah. So it would be yeah. nice to, at some point, you know, do kind of like the uh, um, uh, do like the Singapore, India, yeah. Japan, like the you know, would be amazing. Yeah. Too, exactly. Yeah. Um, I've heard great things about Vietnam because apparently it's sort of like, you know, the South is like Vietnamese food and the North is French because yeah, like, well, what's yeah. happened. So that would be an interesting um, uh, place to, to check out. But yeah, I'm very much always open to everything. So yeah. um, 
you know, looking forward to the next, you know, adventures that the music takes me on. Yeah. And you mentioned traveling a little bit for soccer even. Yeah. And I did read that you're a big, so- I'm a big soccer fan. Yeah. Since I was like five. Nice. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. Club I come from sport. a soccer. Uh, I'm a man. It's hard. It's hard right now, but I'm a Manchester United. So oh I'm, man. So what do you think's going to happen? You Pogba or Mourinho? And it's funny because I'm I, such a Mourinho fan, but see, like. I'm not. I'm oh, not you're a not? Mourinho fan uh, and it hurts me. It hurts me because <laughs> I'm, I'm a huge Ferguson fan. Okay. Like, you know, yeah. because I grew up on, and I always like to clarify because I'll get accused all the time of being a bandwagoner, yeah. being a Manchester United fan. But uh, my family's Irish, Northern okay. Irish. So George Best played for yeah. Manchester United. That's my dad was a okay. Manchester United fan, so that's how I inherited it. But then I was a huge David Beckham fan growing up, obviously, yeah. and uh, you know Ryan Giggs, Paul Scholes, like the yeah. classic United squad. I was a huge Wayne Rooney fan. Yeah. Um, but it's hard right now because I, I I don't like the Mourinho style of soccer. Yeah. The oh, an, no, well, I'm a, I'm a Chelsea fan, right? So, I've, so I've, you liked him. I've, I've, I've appreciated Mourinho in the short okay. spurts that you can have him. The, uh, yeah, it's funny. It's interesting. You know, I always I kind of tell people it's not so much the same now. We're moving away from that. But you know, I always say there's so many Man United fans, especially in North America, because for the longest time when sport when They're soccer wasn't team. big, it was the only it was actually the only games ever yes. played in North America. Yep. So as a result, there's a there's lot, a lot of, of fans, a lot yeah. of United fans. Makes sense. Um, but uh, but yeah, I've been uh, uh, Chelsea, Chelsea fan since like uh, Shevchenko played on there. Although oh, he, wow. he, didn't, yeah, he yeah. wasn't he wasn't that great, but definitely like a huge Drogba fan. When I was in London, yeah. Drogba was playing for the team at the time. Yeah. At one point in time, he was the highest paid you know football player, which mm-hmm. obviously for me. It was kind of like kind of neat to see cool, that, yeah, from um, someone you know, uh, and uh, yeah. So been been a Chelsea fan since since then. So since then, yeah, yeah. and, and, and we've won, won a lot. So <laughs> yeah, since then, I mean, it's it's hard. It's like I said, it's hard for me as a Manchester United fan to say, but now it's like I almost enjoy wa- prefer <laughs> watching a Liverpool game or something because yeah. it's more exciting football. Like oh, Mourinho style football, so slow and that and last boring and yeah. Chelsea versus Liverpool was a great game. Yeah, I don't know if you like guys it just, was yeah. one of the best games I've seen. But the next game, hey man, you got Liverpool I know, and Man. I know. Man United, so that I should know, be fun. And there's no reason that Man United shouldn't be. I mean, they've got like, you yeah. know, they've got a World Cup superstar on their team yeah. right now. And anyways, um, how did I'm assuming you watched a lot of the World Cup? Uh yeah. Well, so what did you think of this World Cup? Uh so. Uh, it was it was interesting. It's funny. I picked France to win it, even though um, I thought that Belgium had the best team. But none of those guys keep routinely just breaking your heart. Well, a lot of people um, say that semifinal was the real final. The France Belgium. The France Belgium. Yeah, France. whoever won that was probably going to win the World Cup. Yes. Yeah. So the game before for me was better with. Uh, it was Brazil. a slow game. Like, but usually it was more of like a final game that France because usually the final is a slow so one nothing game. In general, I would say so. The um, when they played when they played uh, France, it was the first time I'd seen um, De Bruyne, who I think is such an incredible player. Look, pedestrian. It's I've never mm-hmm. seen him play that poorly yeah. ever. And I he think picked France the, just took them out. Yeah, he took he, out Lukaku out of the game too. Yeah, and it was the worst time to see him play. Lukaku. One of the things I really appreciated is I'm not a big Messi fan. I'm on the Ronaldo okay. side. I'm, I'm a Ronaldo okay. guy. Uh, really love Ronaldo. But what was interesting to see, even at that level, is I always tell people usually the difference between like you know um, European like that club level playing in mm-hmm. the MLS is the first touch. Everything else is the same, yes. but the first touch is, is, is that yeah. 
if you see how like and even the difference actually between Messi and Ronaldo and even like because Neymar didn't look great either, no, right? No. And that first touch even for Neymar yes. was like was not there. Well, you mentioned. And, sorry, finish. No, no, no. I have, so, I have a point to add to that. Yeah. So I just I remember just think watching the World Cup and obviously like you know roots in uh, born in Nigeria, so I have to play for Nigeria. But the goal that Messi scored against Nigeria to me was the best goal of the tournament. And that was my point. And, I was about to say. And the reason why, and I and I tell people, I'm like, you that don't first touch that you first touch. I go, people don't appreciate that was impossible. How. That first touch, like he caught it in stride. It, I'm like, stuck to him. Like, it's like it was like like a magnet. So yeah. and I was just like, he's running at full tilt, catches that ball in stride off the thigh to yeah. the leg and shoots it in. I go, and what was interesting about it is what I find with um, uh, with some of the um, what I find with some of the, the African players, yeah, um, is that generally they're faster, but as mm-hmm. a result they cheat more. Right, so you, they they're they're jump, they're trying to jump the ball a bit. Yeah. So Messi had even coming up to that play where he had just shifted his weight a little bit, still in stride, yeah. and he did it and did it twice. He did it once when um, to make it move like he was coming in. Then he takes the run. Yeah. So that's he gains a, um, a sort of half step there, and then when he gets the ball, he also shifts his upper body to the left. And gains another half step. It was only a half step. Yeah, that he, in that one stride, it. he brought it from yeah. his knee down to his foot. And, I, yeah, I was watching the game, and I, you know, I'm saying I was watching it with some people, you know, at, uh, at my office. And I was like, I was like, you guys won't even appreciate. No one's ever going to appreciate it how was great it. And a the, footballer's goal. That and goal, yeah. and they, you know, of all the they did a top ten of all the goals that tournament. It doesn't appear, and I, I go. I go, people. I'm like, it's people who don't I've, know anything about well, soccer. That's it. I've had this debate with. 20 different people since the World Cup because that too I even posted on my blog this is my top goal of the tournament yeah. was that Messi goal and uh, you know I've had the debate with so many people who are fair weather they yeah. watch the World Cup fair weather and they've all which picked, is bad you know, because like, it's actually not a great brand of soccer I the I was watching Tottenham in uh, it was like Hudder, like uh, Huddersfield or something like that, yeah. and I saw better soccer there than I yeah, saw. Yeah, but it's it is the, the it is the most exciting yeah. just because of the fanfare and everything. But yeah, and I had this debate because there's a lot of Fairweather fans, and of course they were all picking yeah. like thirty yard blasts, you yeah. know, and stuff. It's like of course they're phenomenal. Yeah, they but that was a footballer's goal because yeah. it really took. And if if you ask any of the sports analysts, they all said the same, like that messy goal. But like, you mentioned it, Lukaku. How yeah. many times did he have the ball? And if he had a better first touch, yeah, yeah. he would have been, he would have had the the most goals of the tournament. Yeah. But he couldn't control it in the first mm-hmm. touch. He needed a second touch to control it. Yeah. He was playing. I hate to say, like you know, not to insult, insult it or anything, but he was playing like he was an MLS player. Yeah, right. It's like couldn't control. Like he was just like he had so many opportunities to to um uh, for them to do a lot better than he did, yeah. and he just wasn't. He was like he he's not there. The finesse the finesse isn't there, and and I noticed it where you know you're watching you know Messi, you watch Ronaldo, the great, and I and I remember getting to Neymar, and I was just like, because I'm a big fan of Neymar as well. But that tournament, I know that he's coming off the energy, yeah. bad tournament. But I was just like, maybe maybe it's because of the injury and whatnot. But I go. He's not actually as good as 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 those two guys, no. and I and like I want to put him. I want to put yeah. him there. He's no, not yeah. there yet. He might be at the top of the next group, yeah. like coming up, but he's not there yet. And uh, and it was it was kind of heartbreaking for me a little bit because I you know rooting rooting for, rooting uh, for him. But, I was uh, at first, and then it was funny. I was saying it because Neymar really dug himself a hole in this World Cup. I think uh, you know the diving and and the comments and stuff. Right, the comments he made after that Mexico game and stuff. 
and I said only Neymar like in a matter of one night because <laughs> Brazil's a team that if you're a, a fair weather soccer fan you don't yeah. watch soccer regularly but you're gonna watch the World Cup yeah you're gonna watch Brazil's Brazil, a yeah. go-to team yeah. like you're gonna cheer for Brazil they've won the most yeah. they play the most exciting but overnight like Neymar managed to turn everyone again. If you weren't Brazilian, he turned everyone against yeah. Brazil. I, you know what? I, did, I didn't mind it so much. Like I, I think that uh, depending on where you grow up, depending on where you play, how you play the style, which played what's accepted, you know, different things look differently, and it's easy to yeah. kind of like. I don't know a lot of people are like, oh, he dived a lot, and I think it's easy to kind of say that coming from a North America where we're so used to like you know well, such brute force being used and not. Um, a, a, a place where they play with such skill level that you actually players don't actually touch each other that right. often. Therefore, that you different. know we see them, but we think what we see is embellishments. But the truth is, they just are never they never really touch yeah. and they're they're you know protected. So, but uh, yeah, but I, I can't blame people for not being um, you know for not. Uh, um, enjoying what they saw, but it is what it and is. That, and there's diving happens in every sport. Of course, that's my biggest thing. Like, yeah, I know. Because the, the Canadians yeah. like to be like, oh, hockey we players don't, don't even, do this. Yeah, like, come we on, don't, stop we don't it. even like, need to go down that road. <laughs> but it's funny because Brazil, it really is a different style game down there. I, I actually went to the 2014 World Cup. Oh, I went nice. to Brazil, yeah. Um, and man, just the atmosphere on Copacabana Beach during yeah. the World Cup was, especially because they were hosting, you know, yeah. they were hosting and, uh, you know, before they got slaughtered by Germany, like yeah. they were. You know, they were entertaining to watch anyways. And on the beach, man, you should see just the footwork, just the yeah. locals, like, have. Oh, yeah. and when they, they play, play the volleyball with their foot feet. Volleyball. Yeah, and, I remember, man, I yeah. tried that. and No, it doesn't no. happen. Yeah. Man, it was, they were so good that the pros, when they were fin- when they were, the team was out or yeah. whatever, they were coming down to the beach to play. Yeah. I was down there, and Christian Vieri was down there yeah. playing with the locals. Uh, when Holland got knocked out, Robin Van Persie was down there yeah. playing with the locals. It was... It was a cool experience, man. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> um, actually, one thing I wanted to... You're also... I heard a big... You're into fashion and stuff like that. Yeah. And kind of a link between soccer and fashion is the team that got voted the nice nicest kit. Oh, yeah. Nigeria, of Nigeria, course, man. right? The Did kids. you get one of the new I, kits? Man, you know how hard, how hard it is to get those yeah, kits? I'll, t- I'll, find, I'll tell you the place I found one. Oh, I yeah. got one. Yeah, yeah. Where'd you get it? Uh, it's this place called... 416 okay. jerseys or something like that. Yeah, yeah. online. I'll find it for you. Okay, yeah, yeah. Cool. And I got one because it was like. It, yeah, yeah. It, that's it's, hilarious. It's like wicked yeah, every, streaky, yeah. Even, man. Yeah. It feels like every every World Cup is sort of like you know what's Nigeria wearing, right? So. It was too bad about Nigeria in this World Cup. You know they were close and. Uh, they you know they sh- I think they they sh- they, sh- they shot themselves in the foot again without saying about players sometimes when you're when you're fast. You rely on certain things, but a good player only needs half a step, right? Yes, yeah. And so with that game, the game when they played Argentina, I you know, I was really frustrated because I was just like, Why are you guys cheating? Like you're yeah. you're not give the the other players more respect and they and um, you know, they're a little too eager and uh uh, you know they had a chance at least to go go next and they they have the players now, you know, it's it's so there's no reason they shouldn't pushing, be, yeah. but uh it was it was also just a little bit of bad yeah. luck in that yeah. game that Messi just oh yeah went into his own but the, like but again I'm not I I'm a Ronaldo fan versus Messi but you I that I see that and I'm just like uh, I go you know that's not it's not a coincidence that we've right. watched every other top striker not be able to control the ball right. Be rolling to them, Messi gets it in stride, running, and it has a shot before it hits the ground. Come on! Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> I, know. I know it was. 
It was amazing. Okay, one more sports question before we move on. Because uh, you're also a basketball fan. Yes. Uh, I, I take it that you're a Raptors fan. Yes. It's of course, right now, the hot question. Yes. Your thoughts on the DeRozan Leonard trade. It was amazing. And I really was hoping they would get Butler. And uh, I, I got to be careful saying this because I, <laughs> I don't know how it's going to come back from back, back to me. But I would have taken... Um, uh, you know, one for one, Lowry with Butler. Um, but okay. I'm sure they probably were asking for more than that. I think Butler and and, um, and Kawhi, mm-hmm. the two of them, would have destroyed the East. Okay. My thing. A lot of people like say that uh, you know, well, he's not going to stay. This that. I think it doesn't matter. I think secretly the Raptors, um, Masai, I don't think they care if he stays. I think if they, as the Raptors go to the finals this year, it'll one, it'll all have been worth it. Yeah. Um, and I think it frees up a ton of cap space. I think a cap space. I think they're also going. They're going to look at uh, Atentacupo comes. We know that Masai has the African connection, mm-hmm. you know, attended, like Greek, but like uh, Nigerian roots. So, like, you got to think there's something at play there. We kept our, our uh, the young guys intact, kept them together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think the trade was as much as, and I am a big fan of DeRozan, but I, I completely understood it. And it made, to me, it made a lot of sense. Yeah. And 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 I think if Kawhi stays, that's just icing on the cake. But I don't think they, I don't think the trade was really worrying about whether he stayed. It's like this is what we got to do this year. We right. just had three years of the exact same thing, same thing right? Yeah. And so at a certain point where I know people, you know, all the heart hurt feelings and stuff like that. But at the same point is, are you just happy with just you know running that cycle again? I also feel like the Raptors were not a one, number one seed team last year. Okay. So my thought going into the season was, oh, they're probably going to be like five or six, right? And then they were number one. I was like, how that happened? But you look around the league and see what happened. Boston lost their second best player first game of the season. Mm-hmm. They lost Kyrie um, in the second half of the season. They still stayed what within two games, two, two or four yeah, games yeah. with the Raptors. So if they have even one of those players, they're ahead of the Raptors. Philly didn't wasn't wasn't healthy the entire season, but they were they were number three. They weren't far behind, and we know that Cleveland was a dysfunctional mess, right? Mm-hmm. So you take that three now, you put Toronto. Actually, looks if those teams are healthy or functional, whatever. You've got Toronto as actually a four seed, which I think gives us a puts in a, in a different light than if they came out as a one seed and coach of the year, all this other stuff. Because right. they're a four seed, you're like, okay, um, it's okay to trade DeRozan. Right. We understand why you're getting rid of Dwayne Casey, all of that stuff, but that's not really what happened. And I think if 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 you know the Raptors were being honest with themselves, and I'm sure they thought of those things. Um, I'm not a GM of the Raptors. I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure there's even more things that went into the decision and, and everything like that. But I th- think for me, looking at it, that's how I felt at the end of the season. Which, oh, great, we won the most games ever and whatnot. But like, what is the reality of what that meant? Not to take anything away from the players. Um, I know that, I remember there's a lot of talk about, oh, they benched DeRozan during the fourth quarter. People were getting upset about that. I go, what are you getting upset about? Have you not watched any games this season? Because the well, the, the bench saved us the entire season. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't. I was never surprised when I saw DeRozan on the bench for that long because that's really what supported the team all year round, yeah. right? And well, that's like just like the World Cup. You get yeah. you know during the playoffs, you get the all the extra fans yeah. who don't you know haven't watched the full season. Yeah. So, you know they chime in where they maybe don't know everything. Exactly. You know, so. So, so yeah, not to say that I know everything, but that that's at least the way I I had looked it. at it. And when I heard that trade, you know, a lot of you know I tell my hockey friends, uh, I go, you know, I'm like Tavares is a big deal coming to the city, but he's not as big of a deal as Kawhi coming to Toronto. And Kawhi is the 
biggest superstar by far of any sport next to maybe Sandine or Alomar to yeah, come yeah. to Toronto. And I'd say even more because, well, Alomar, I guess, has a uh, World Series, but, you know, he's a, he's a finals MVP. He's a, yeah. like, he, like, there's no doubt about it. And we, we, I know we don't see their games. We don't get the games well, on that emo- side. There was but, an emotional aspect yeah. to it, which made it tough. But, you know, any analyst outside of Toronto or whatever yeah. all, all said Toronto won that trade. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's, no, there's no doubt about that. Yeah. Won the trade. If he leaves, we have a lot of, we've got money. Yeah, you know, right. And we've got our, our team. In, we've got our young future stars. It's like it's like trading, you know, uh, for a big player. It's like trading for like uh, Bryce Harper and not losing any of our you know farm guys or any of the new guys right, that right. came. Right. So um, yeah, Blue Jays can maybe learn something. But uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, I loved it. Love, completely loved it. S- definitely, again, sad to see DeRozan go because I think he's great for great for um, the city. Obviously, really loved the team. Obviously, really wanted to be there, and it's really nice, really nice to have that, you know, especially from a basketball standpoint. Uh, but at the same time, like, you were, we can't go through a fourth year of seeing the exact same right. thing. And in fact, we wouldn't have seen the same thing. We'd probably, with that same configuration, exit the playoffs a lot sooner based on what's happening around us. So, okay. Great. Well, we'll try and, uh, try and uh, wrap things. I got a couple more questions before we want to wrap things up. Um, You've, you, again, we've talked about your Nigerian roots, um, and we talked about travel. Have you been back to Nigeria? I have. It's since? been a while. It's been almost ten years actually since okay. I've been back. Funny enough, my parents just moved and found my passport, so I'm gonna um, either next week or the week from now, before the end of the month, try and go down. Oh, really? Because I gotta go to Ottawa to, to um, renew it, so I'll, I'll renew my passport. That's yeah, yeah. A, not a, go to Nigeria. That's the first. Yeah, that's the so first like, step. That's a big decision. Yeah, first step is renewing the passport so you can get down to Nigeria, and then uh, the next step is going. I got a lot of family there, so. Okay, yeah. and and I, what I was I was curious too if if your Nigerian roots uh, influence your music at all. Uh, somewhat. Um, I mean, I listened to Nigerian music growing up. Uh, funny enough, I find my sisters now listen to a lot of uh, Nigerian music. My youngest sister, um, which is a longer story than we can go into now, is actually mm-hmm. kind of uh, by blood my cousin. Um, and she has uh, five sisters. And so she started going back more often. Okay. Um, and as a result, is bringing back music. So... I'm starting to pick up a lot getting of getting exposed. Get exposed to yeah. a lot of pop, Niger, pop Nigerian music because of that, and the market there is so massive, right? I, mm-hmm. You know, we were talking about the World Cup, and I remember saying to somebody, I was like, I think Nigeria is like the biggest country in the World Cup, you know, or one of them, right? And they're like, What are you talking about? And then, sure enough, I look it up. Brazil is number one. Nigeria was two. Really? Then Russia, right? Okay. In terms of the population, population, right? Wise. So there's like, there's like, I think it was like Brazil had like. Uh, was it, I think once no Brazil had like maybe 200 or something like that million people so like a ridiculous high yeah. numbers like Brazil Nigeria was like 140 or something like that yeah. it was like yeah it was just like um, but yeah there's a lot of people yeah <laughs> so um, uh, but you know and, and as a result the media there is huge right? right it's a multi-billion dollar industry I remember when I it wasn't until I moved to Greece or went to Greece for the first time where a friend of mine told me about Nollywood and how it's, you know, really? one of the biggest industri- in- industries in the world. Nollywood actually produces more movies than Hollywood behind um, Bollywood. Okay. You know, that's how much, that's how much um, is being produced wow. out there. And it's, and I think part of it has to do with, you know, the population and all, all of the West, West Africa, they're feeding yeah. and things like that. So yeah, it's very interesting to see like all that stuff that uh, the industry, I, mean, I know that when I went back, it was interesting 
just from a standpoint of wow, it wasn't what I was expecting to see. Mm-hmm. A lot of they just look like a lot of cities look like Western cities. Yeah. I, you know, without looking at the, seeing the people, you might you think you're so, yeah. You might think you're somewhere in Europe. But it's interesting you, know. you say that about you know Nollywood and the type of music is even in a global day where everything we can get access to anything. Yeah. There's still so many different parts of um, there's so many different things we're not exposed to yeah. on a regular basis. Um, I know, like, you know, like I like I was saying, I went to India, and like the Bollywood scene is yeah. insane. Like it's it's bigger yeah. right, than Hollywood. Um, and and actually, even going back to sports, even real quick, I, I read um, an article that was the hundred the hundred most recognized athletes in on the planet. Yeah, you know, of which I think sixty were soccer players because soccer yeah. is a global sport. But there was about ten cricket players on uh, there. That's you know, there was yeah. no, there was no hockey players. There was no, no base, no baseball players, no, no American football players. Yeah. Um, there was, there were basketballs getting pretty global now. Yeah. So you know, LeBron James is in the top five. But yeah, there was about ten, sure. there's about ten cricket players on there. Well, and so, and people yeah. are, you know, when I was sharing this with other people, they were like, How, "I've never heard of this guy." And it's like, "Yeah, but there's a billion people in, in India, India who yeah. know this guy." You know, For so. Sure. Yeah, well, it's it's, so it's interesting. Like it's, even in a global day, there's still so much we're not exposed to. And the basketball players drop off after LeBron, right? Because I mean, for I a in, while, yeah. When yeah. I was in uh, Greece, like the number one, I think uh, Kobe took over Jordan, right? For a while, and yeah. It, and, and it's interesting. In fact, Steph Curry was still was up there. Was he? Uh, no, he I don't. He's he, now he might have been there? like in the twenties or thirties okay. or something. He but might yeah. be moving up there. But I know that for for a lot of people. Um, because in North America there's a romanticism yeah. with Jordan, but in Europe there isn't, right? right? So it's like a lot of people feel like Kobe was a better player than Jordan, right? A lot of people like they that they don't right. have those kind of, that same romanticism around the that argument and yeah. putting keeping Jordan on this pedestal is not is yeah. not there in Europe. It's in North America, and people right. are like, "What are you guys?" Well, people, about we're, we're, we live in a bubble here yeah. in North America because you know I was talking to again. This is like a bar, comp, you know. Yeah. When you're out with your buddies, you talk about these things, and you know the thing is, baseball right now is really hurting. They don't have an A Rod right yeah. now. There's no global. Yeah. Uh, there's no global superstar right now. Um, someone was like, "How is Tom Brady not on this list?" And it's like, because nobody outside of North America knows Tom who Tom Brady. Brady is. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah, in the United States, he's in the top you only ten. Find but that's it. one place. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, anyways, and moving on. So my last question was: you had mentioned it earlier, and it's it's kind of what I wanted to wrap on on kind of a nice notion is uh, you actually have your own art foundation. Yeah. Um, and the Jane and Finch area where you teach children uh, composition. Yeah, well, so I've got the the, the foundation. Um, it's not geographically um, specific. Okay. Um, but it's really just to help kids in underserved communities access the arts in whatever art form it is. Um, and, uh, and it's taken on various iterations. And right now I'm putting... Uh, together, you know, scholarships for um, kids to do like various things, whether it's go to camp. I think camp is huge and very important, specifically for kids who come from various areas of the city where they don't actually have, uh, they don't interact with other different mm-hmm. people. And I think uh, one of the things I know for me going to being able to go to camp, um, go to band camp, um, was an opportunity to be in a different environment, know that you're just like everyone else. And like start to see your abilities in that light as well. So, yeah. um, so you know, trying to provide uh, opportunities and and ways for kids to interact with that is something that's been um, you know important for, important for me. Just because it's made, I know it's made a big difference for for myself. Okay, so I was going to ask what inspired you to to start this foundation and 
was it something to do with the, yeah, your, that's your childhood? And yeah, the, that's yeah. it. I think, you know, I think I look back on everything that, like we chatted about before, and I say, you know, every opportunity that I have and everything I've accomplished, whether it's in the arts or not, or music, whatever, it all stems from uh, from my music. Right. Um, and the network that's been created from there and, and, and whatnot. And so the really what's inspired the foundation is just for it to be a continuation of everything that I've been sort of given understanding that and trying to and hoping that you know some of those opportunities some other people will get as well so mm-hmm. yeah. awesome and so what uh, what goals do you have for the foundation going forward is goals so funny yeah. enough uh, we just chatted about LeBron James yeah I don't know if you know about the school he just started yes I yeah, think I've heard about it so it's incredible I looked at um, I have it on my Instagram as as uh, goals uh, actually, <laughs> well, no seriously yeah yeah and so uh, the program he has I think if I was able to even pre- uh, reach part like some of that would would be uh, would be amazing and, and for those who don't know LeBron James has started a school uh, in Ohio back in his hometown and it's basically you know if you're in the program it's sort of like you have free um, free tuition free tuition um, but you have meals yeah. so like a lot of the kids are you know don't one of those things is one of the things I've seen is like you know we create these programs for people and then uh, and then what happens is the resources that help support that aren't there so it just collapses and we, right. we wonder why it collapses so you, you get breakfast and lunch is provided if your parent or mother or father doesn't have a GED they help your mother and father have a GED if you complete the program you get full tuition full uh, free tuition to um, uh, one of the Cleveland or Ohio based universities I forget which one mm-hmm. they're connected to so the whole list of things that they've, they've got there um, really I think which you know I think for some people would look as like oh these are just freebies and whatnot but it's things that it's providing opportunity providing opportunity but just things we take for granted right, right. the idea that oh a kid would come to school without breakfast what do you mean a kid would come to school without breakfast yeah. what is that like how does that even work right um, and uh, I think if I was able to do something on that level or even close to it that would be that's that like the ultimate goal. goal that would be the ultimate goal so when you're we're starting this up I mean that's something that can be very intimidating a, a project it's a you know how did you kind of get connected to scholarships and so scholarships I you know I was provided with scholarships like people recognized what I was doing and and they uh, I didn't really have to apply for certain scholarships okay. and so and and then along the way um, as I mentioned some of the patrons that I've had have also helped me out have also helped me raise money um, especially when I was going to Berkeley of really right. you know, a really big community came together to kind of help me uh, do that along with the scholarship I got. Uh, so I, I, didn't, I didn't mean actually yours. I meant oh. um, because I, I mean yours a lot of stem from yeah. your talent. But I mean for the program that you've started with these kids, I thought you you had mentioned you were you were trying to get them some scholarships. For- yeah, no. So through my foundation, so you know I've worked with different um, uh, agencies out there to figure out who some of the okay. you know t- uh, kids are that are coming up that could use the support and try to make the decision based on that. Uh, ideally, I'd like to get to a place where the endowment fund is big enough that I can kind of accept applications mm-hmm. as well, as opposed to um, just, I think you need a bit of both, because just because you have a thing set up for people to apply doesn't mean you're going to get to the ones who really need it. Right. So I think you, have the, you need to have the balance of uh, back and forth of, of uh, ways to um, reach some of the most vulnerable. Um, but that's kind of, that's where I'm at right now in, in figuring that out. So Great. So to wrap things kind of up, 
what's uh, what's next for Thompson Eggbo Eggbo, musically, professionally? I I think just continue for me. It's you know I, I get asked that question a lot. I think it's just to continue to create content. Okay. Continue to create the art and. Um, as simple as that sounds, it's actually it's not, yeah. The, yeah, it's one of the harder things to do is just to keep moving forward um, for for a number of reasons, and so uh, open the doors. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so for me, if I can just keep uh, with the momentum, you know, keep uh, looking for various opportunities, keep collaborating, uh, then the things will start to sprout from there. Absolutely. Well, thanks again, Thompson. Thank you, man. Appreciate you having yeah, me on here. For sure, it's yeah. my pleasure. Adamantium.